We read earlier in the prayer time uh, from Matthew 20 with uh, the kind of Palm Sunday entry into uh, Jerusalem. And we are also going to read from Matthew 26 uh, to see the other reaction to Jesus' entry into the city. Matthew 26, verses 57 to 68. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and and whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. But they found none, and though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. And then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? And they answered, he deserves death. Then they spat on his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who is it that struck you? I think part of the intrigue of Palm Sunday is always that question of, like, how do you get such vastly different reactions uh, to Jesus' arrival uh, for that Holy Week? And I think about all of the ways in which you have expectations. Maybe if you had for the very first time we're reading through the Gospels, and if you could go back to a place where you didn't know how the story ended, like how do you expect this entry into Jerusalem to go? How do you expect people to respond to his coming and his presence? In Luke's Gospel especially, like the whole story is this like this trip towards Jerusalem and how will they respond? And so maybe in your life you've had expectations, you've had hopes, and you've thought through like, well, how is this gonna go? Uh, and this last year has been the constant like uh, curveball to that, right? Of the way that you expect things to go is, is just not how it goes. Uh, and so I was thinking about in my own life, in my own story of like, when is the time where I've just been surprised uh, by how something uh, arrived, how something showed up? And I was thinking back to uh, my, my daughter Gwen, who's almost turning five about a month away, and, and, and kid times when you don't know how far away that is, she is waiting any day for presents and birthday parties. Uh, but when she was born, uh, my, my wife and I and her mother, uh, we drove to the hospital, and we were, you know, you have in your head all of this like expectations of what's it gonna be like to meet your child for the first time. We pull into this hospital complex in this parking garage, and there's the delivery floor, and there's a door, and so I just bring the car to a stop and I let my wife and her mom get out of the car and so they can just go right in the door. And I drive around and I find my parking spot and I'm, you know, do I have my keys? Do I have everything? You know, your, 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 your blood pressure, everything's moving a little bit faster. 
And I get out of the car, I make my way in, I, I, I'm like, oh, well, they're not waiting on me, okay. I walk through the door and I make my way through the signs and there's labor and delivery and I get in there and I was like, um, is, is a Beth flipping here? <laughs> they're like, who? I'm like, where's my wife? Like, where, <laughs> where are they? And somehow I beat them to labor and delivery. Uh, and there ended up being like two stairwells and so they were waiting for me uh, in a different spot and so I ended up finding myself uh, beating my wife to uh, labor and delivery, which was not how I expected that moment to go. Uh, and, and sometimes we're surprised and, and thrown off. And sometimes that getting thrown off that curveball is meaningful and beneficial to us. It helps us see in a new light. Sometimes it angers us and frustrates us. Uh, when you go to your grocery store and they've decided to change all of the aisles, and you're like, how dare they? I knew where everything was. It would be so much simpler if they would just send it back. Right? Like we respond so differently when, when our lives don't go how we expect them to. And so when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, he gets two vastly different responses. And I think sometimes in our head we've kind of mixed that, that crowd up of, of that the same people who celebrate are also the same people who, who want him to die in the end of the story. Uh, but Matthew and, and some of the Gospels tend to kind of separate out who that is, that it's responding differently. And so when you get to Jesus entering the city, it's like you've got Jesus going towards Jerusalem and crowds of people celebrating, crowds of people who are throwing cloaks down, who are throwing branches down, who are saying, praise God, something great is happening. And this crowd who's entering into Jerusalem is celebrating what might happen. They're celebrating the experiences they've had with Jesus. Like they've already been with Jesus elsewhere and they, they know a little bit more of his story. You know, it's, it's a person that was blind who could see. And of course the blind man who can see is going to celebrate. It's going to say God is doing something. And it's... it's People who were outcasts, who Jesus has brought into the fold, who are like, you've shunned me, you've pushed me away, but praise God, I am one of the community. It's people who were, were shamed and who were treated as less than, who've been lifted up, say, there's hope for me. Like, this, this man looked at me in the eyes. This man, uh, for the lepers who weren't able to be touched, he, he touched me and said, you are healed. Like, there's a joy and a celebration, and they don't understand everything. Like, they don't fully know what to do with Jesus. They don't know how to fully articulate who he is, and it's like, hey, the prophet's coming. Like, there's still more for them to learn, but like, if you have been on the outside, what great joy it is to celebrate what Jesus is bringing to the world, and they're praising his name. Of course they are. Good news has come to them. But that's not the only response that we know that there is there in the story. There are also others who are on the other side, who are receiving this procession, who want to stop it, who are wanting to figure out, what do I need to do to, to like nail it to the ground? And we've got nails in our story for Good Friday. But like, how do I like put an end to this? Because what is good news doesn't always sound good to everyone. For those who had a bit of power, who had a bit of blessing and life felt pretty good, 
uh, it doesn't always sound good to hear that things are just changing. Because what might happen? You know, I kind of like the way that the world is for me right now, and if you go messing with it, what's that going to mean for me? And, and it's a little bit scary. And so the religious leaders are thinking, I've got titles, I've got power, I've got the, the blessing of having been educated, the blessing of, of some wealth or whatever it is. And they see this crowd coming in and they're like, what's this going to mean? What's this going to do? What's going to happen if, if Rome hears about this? What's going to happen if Caesar hears about this? Are they going to come and just destroy us and wipe us all out? And you think you're celebrating something good, but this is a doomsday scenario. And we got to do whatever we can to stop this because I'd rather keep things as they are than dare to chance what God might actually be doing, that God might actually be in the midst of this crowd celebrating that something is happening. And so they, they worked to figure out, how do, we, how do we stop this thing? And nobody in that story thinks they're the bad guys. Like, nobody in the story thinks, I'm the villain of this story. You know, uh, I, I'm clearly in the wrong here, and I have this bad intention. The people with power inside of Jerusalem who are opposing Jesus think they are saving everybody. They think they're sparing a city from catastrophe. And so they'll go to whatever links that they need to to figure out how do I get out of this movement that's happening? How do I stop it? And what happens is, is both then and now, we all look for who can take the blame, who can be the fall guy. We know this from like news cycles. When something bad happens, we're all waiting for who all the fingers are going to point at. Let them be the only one in trouble. Let them get, lose their job. Let them get the prison sentence. Like, let's find one person. Let's find as few people as we can and let them be the scapegoat. I think about uh, the ship stuck in the canal, you know, of like, uh, there's, I'm sure, a ton of finger pointing going on right now as more and more money is lost each day with the shipment delays of somebody is going to get into a lot of trouble. And everyone inside of that system, I'm sure, is pointing at each other to identify who is to blame for it. Uh, and we do this all the time. And in the Old Testament imagery and the kind of roots for this language of scapegoating is on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have these two goats in the community. And one of the goats would be sacrificed. You sacrifice it, um, you'd, you'd kill the animal. Uh, some of that would be used for, for a meal the blood was placed in the Holy of Holies in these places. But there was a second goat that they would put their hands on. And they would say, all of our sin, all of what we've done wrong this year, let it be on this goat. Like, let it be gone from us. Let this goat have it. And then they would just send it out into the wilderness. Hey, just walk away. If you can just take it as far away from here, I don't have to live with the guilt. I don't have to live with the shame. Let that thing have it and go. And I always think about expectations of, I wonder how you actually get the goat to fully leave. Like, what, what year did the goat turn around? <laughs> and the community like, no, 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 goat, get out of here. Uh, but there's a real weight to this desire to put all of the blame on somebody else. And maybe you've been the person in your life that has taken on the blame and you've had events where you've gotten in trouble for things that maybe you didn't deserve to be the one that got in trouble. Maybe you've been the person to throw the blame on somebody else. Uh, I think about growing up, my, my brother was 
about eight years older than me. And so he was always the big brother. The joke is he's about five foot two. Like, so like I'm now the big little brother. Um, but he was always much older than me. And he got into, uh, you know, adventurous activities that often got him into trouble. And so some of the times he would invite his little kid brother along, right? Of like, well, you're around. Do you want to, hey, this is what we're up to. And so it might be like, let's figure out how to make little paper, uh, little planes with some little gunpowder as like, uh, to see how far we can make a plane go. Uh, or rolling down these stairs or uh, paintballs or spud guns or whatever weird activities that was on his mind. But there were occasions where I remember him saying something where something has gone wrong and clearly it's going to be found out. That he would just turn to me and be like, you don't have to get in trouble for this. You don't need to get in trouble for this. And part of what was going on is this thought of like, I'm the one who gets in trouble. It's expected. People will assume that I'm the one who deserves it. You don't need that. Why don't you just disappear? There's no reason to take any part of the blame of this. And that's a, a sad reality that that even happens in our world, but like people will take that kind of thing of like, it's okay. People assume I'm the bad guy of the story. People assume I've the one that's fallen short. Let me just take that blame. And we are all very quick to be allowed to let the goat go out into the wilderness with the sin because it's hard to sit with it. Like when I was trying to think about this story, I was like, I don't even know what instance it was that he would say that to me, but I remember what he said. It's like your brain disassociates from whatever the activity was. It was like, uh, we want no memory of this. Let it all be gone. Let all the shame and the guilt go away with it. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem know that they are into something that's not great. Like, they're trying to figure out a way to kill somebody. They know that's not good. But they're like, how can I find a way to shift this blame and guilt so I don't feel bad about it? And so all week, they're looking for reasons to have Jesus killed and trying to figure out how to do that in a way that doesn't feel like I'm the bad guy in the story. And so like when Jesus shows up and he starts knocking tables over, and he starts clearing the temple and taking uh, their kind of economic source of, of fundraising, so to speak, out, and it like pushes the timeline forward of we got to get rid of this guy, they start asking him questions. They start teaching stories and saying, hey, what do you say about this? And they keep like, you know, whatever the hot topic issues are, where if you choose a side, half the room is upset, you know, and so it's those people po poking with these questions of what do you believe about this? And even more, hey, should we give money to Caesar? Even more hot topic issues, ones that have political uh, outcomes that, that would be negative for him. Should we give money to Caesar or not? If I say yes, give it to Caesar, all of my Jewish brothers and sisters are going to be mad because we all dislike the oppressive government who's ruling over us. If I say yes, um, we should stop giving that money to Caesar because how dare he? He shouldn't rule over us. Next thing you know, the Roman soldiers are showing up at your door ready to execute you. And so Jesus has these clever ways of responding in the story, things like give to Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God's, which you could read in a lot of different ways, right? Of 
Well, sure, give taxes. It has Caesar's face on it. Give it to him. Or everything is God's. Only God deserves to receive anything. And so Jesus is navigating this minefield while these religious leaders are looking, how do I give him the blame? And eventually they figure out how to get one of his own disciples to play a part in the story, to betray him. And then they make these kind of fake courtroom scenes and they're like, okay, we couldn't get any real good evidence. We know we need some false evidence. And even that wasn't working too great. It's like this, this mock trial is not, it's not going super well. And so we've got some false witnesses who say, you know what he said? Look at this beautiful temple. He said he was going to destroy it and he could rebuild it in three days. Like the audacity. How dare he talk bad about the temple? The temple is where people meet God. And he's going to say he's going to destroy it. Isn't that deserving of punishment? Isn't that deserving of blame? And so they've got these accusations, but they can't really make anything stick. And, and they're like, okay, just speak plainly. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Like, say plainly. He's like, well, you've said it, you know. And he makes this quote about himself as being on the right hand of God and power. And they say, blasphemy, as they tear their cloaks and say, how dare you speak about God that way? How dare you speak about who you are that way? You deserve death. And not just death, because that's like, scapegoating doesn't just do the easy blame. It usually piles on. And so they're kicking him, they're spitting him, they're mocking him, they're ridiculing him. Because again, I have to make that person less than, or I will feel more guilty. So the more subhuman I can make them, the more I can deal with what I'm taking place with. And so as they mock Jesus, they then pass him along, again, passing blame along to some Roman soldiers. And when the Roman soldiers don't really want to execute him, they push them because we need someone to take the blame and we want to get rid of the situation because we don't want anything to change. It's too risky. And so we all are spiritually actually a part of this story. Like God's presence and God's good news is always close. And we get to choose where we are in that story. Do you want to be the people who are celebrating? Do you want to praise God that something is happening? Something you might not always be able to explain. Something good and possibility and life and the lifting up of those who have been shamed and who have been scapegoated and celebrate it? Or do we look at what God's doing in the world and be like, you know, I don't know. I kind of like things as they are. I kind of like my own patience level. <laughs> I, I don't know if I really want to increase the fruits, fruits of the Spirit. I don't know if I really want them to grow in me. I don't know if I really can handle being more uh, loving, being more generous, being more patient and kind. God, I kind of like things as they are. Can we just stay in this space? And so it looks different for people at different stages of their, of their faith. You know, if you've never been on that way, you've never been on that procession of celebration of who God is, that first step can be scary. Like, well, what will people think of me? What will people say about me if they find out that I've, I'm a part of this 
Christian movement of like, that I believe in God and all of these things. And there's this hesitation of, can I join in that procession? But then there's all of us who, who, who have been on that journey who are like, I kind of like my spot on the journey. I think this is enough. This is as close as I want to get on this journey towards the end point, towards picking up my own cross and being willing to walk with Christ there. And so we stop short. We end up turning ourselves around and figuring out, how do I stop this thing? Some of our stopping is like, maybe if I just don't read my Bible or maybe if I just don't pray or if I just maybe don't go to church for a little while, like whatever it is that puts the brakes on. Because like, oh no, God might actually change something in me. And so Palm Sunday is a beautiful invitation of being a part of the celebration and the hope or resisting the thing that actually is irresistible. As much as people tried to stop Jesus, Jesus and God can handle the blame. They can handle the accusations, our violence. And instead of in our daily life when we see the fragility of like, I can't handle taking all of the shame and all of the blame, that would crush me. But you can second guess God as much as you want. You can doubt God as much as you want. You can say God is less than the greatness of who God is. And God will not fracture and fall apart. God will actually stand there in the midst of it. We'll keep going. Knowing what pain is on the horizon, we'll still walk into it. We'll accept and embrace the fact that you might throw accusations and yet still loves you still is just as excited and hopeful about the moment you actually say, praise God and turn and follow him. And that is a beautiful invitation. And so I just want to invite each of you uh, to listen to what God is inviting you into in this season. Where is God knocking at the door? Where is God walking into someplace new? And whatever fears and anxieties are there about just like laying it down, put it like cloaks on the ground in front of God and say, I don't know what to do with this. Here's the palm branches though. Praise be God. Where are we going? And that is the beauty of the gospel of without knowing fully where God is headed, but to trust that it is a definitely a good and loving place, unlike what we tend to see in the world around us. So would you join me in prayer as we reflect and respond to our God? Lord, on this occasion where we remember your entry into Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, Lord, we ask that you might give us a renewed vision of what you still are doing in our lives, what you are still doing uh, to transform us more into your image. Lord, give us a hope and, and an optimism in realizing that you can overcome any obstacle. Lord, it's easy to doubt, it's easy to be frustrated, it's easy to be confused, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to start shaming and and placing blame and, and entering into the spiral of violence. 
Lord, help us to have a renewed vision of what your good news looks like in our lives, in our families' lives, in our church, in our city, in our country, in our world. Lord, help us to be a part of the, of the parade of those celebrating your name. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for each time where we've turned around in that parade and tried to figure out how to slow it down and how to slow you down. Lord, help us to be faithful and give us strength and courage. Amen.